Joyride podcast. John is my name. And Ian is my name. And we come to you in a slightly drabber Britain. It's, it's, the weather's gone not so great. Not here. Oh, you still glorious sunshine there. Guys in sunshine up in Scotland. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Northwest of England, raining a lot, mm-hmm. as is typical. Um, but yeah, so we're still in the summer, though. We're still in the height of summer. Technically. Technically. Um, football season's about to get started or get into full flow. Well, it started. I know it started I know, in Scotland. I know you're very English-centric with your views, but, you know, the Scottish football season started yesterday, and I'm a Hearts supporter, so I'm in a very good mood because Hearts beat Celtic last night, which was fantastic. We're now tied I mean, up the league. I mean, if we're being more Euro-centric, the Russian league has been up and running for quite some time. That is true. That is you true. know, so... You know, swings and roundabouts. But uh, yeah, and the Olympics are on. Is it? Are you glorying in Britain's triumph? Well, I mean, I was saying to you beforehand, like, I've not watched the news much this week because I, 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 I'm not interested in the Olympics. It's terrible. I'm just not interested. I don't know if it's just because we had the Euros for four weeks, which, you know, we were all, those of us who like football were quite obsessively watching football matches like two or three times a day. And then the Olympics comes on and you're supposed to care about archery and BMX riding. And it's just very difficult. And I think the other thing as well is that back when we were kids, you know, the 1984 Olympics, the 1986, you remember there were like athletes that you would, like proper like celebrity athletes. You know, even the British team, you had like Seb Coe and Steve Ovett and Steve Cram and Daley Thompson and Tessa Sanders. There was loads of them. I couldn't tell you anyone I know, like, Liz McColgan's daughter runs. And uh, there's a Scottish guy that swims, Douglas Scott, Duncan Scott. That's about it. I don't know. There's not a raft of, like... Sally Gunnell doesn't run anymore, does she? No, no, neither does Chris Akabusi. What about Colin Jackson? No, no, he's he's very much a commentator now, I believe. Um, I think you're right. I think it's, it's the... It's the changing, it's the changing ecology of, of television, really, that's done that, um, and the media landscape in general. Is that when there was only four channels for us growing up, is that athletics? Because you only named athletes there. When you went through your your Olympic team, you actually only named athletes rather than people from other sports. Um, you know, Steve Redgrave being the sort of most famous of our sort of childhood adolescent generation of um, celebrities that weren't athletes but I think on a on on a Friday night especially and often on a Saturday night as well um, athletics would be on maybe BBC2 I remember ITV actually would have the Grand Prix Olympics Mm. which would be on a Friday night Um, and I don't know if you do remember but there was a Every year, there was an athletics event, and I can't remember if it was in Switzerland or if it was in Norway, but it was, they ran the mile, and it was this event every year, because the mile isn't normally ran, it's the 1500 meters, 
but every year would be the the mile and it would be you know you're talking eight nine ten million people from britain alone would turn on to watch this because like you said we had steve obet we had um, sebastian cole we had steve cram and they would we would sit and we would watch you know as a nation mm. maybe even then it wouldn't top the it wouldn't top the viewing figures for that day even because probably the episode of coronation street that was on that day would get a higher rating but it was on mainstream television where there was only four channels to choose from and when there was no internet as a competing vehicle. And so what we had was, we did have this national culture where our athletes particularly were famous. Daley Thompson, you know, I think it was, was it LucasAid he advertised? Yeah. Um, there, was a, there was a breakfast cereal by Kellogg's, I think it was called Start, which was, actually it was it was marketed with athletes all around it when it was launched in the mid 80s i remember my, my grandparents always had start as their breakfast cereal of choice um, but it was marketed on the back of athletes hmm. um not um footballers or or, or or any other kind of sport it was it was athletes and, and and i think that that shows us the difference whereas today's athletes like you say there's liz mccolgan's daughter there's a woman called Dina Asher Smith, who had to pull out of the yeah. um, 100 meters because of injury um, just the other day. And there's also um, Katrina Johnson Thompson, no, Katrina Thompson Johnson, yeah, Katrina Thompson Johnson, who's a heptathlete. Right. And they have kind of, the heptathletes have kind of, because obviously before her, there was Jessica Ennis. Yes, pedophile. Um, before her, there was Denise Lewis. That's right. Um, so, so she's kind of part of that tradition. Um, but yeah, I think the Olympics, though, it was funny because as well as in the 80, I don't really remember 84. I'm a bit, I'm a bit young for 84. I remember Zola Bud knocking over Mary Decker in the 1984 Olympics. Zola Bud famously was someone who ran in bare feet. Yes. And she was also quite controversial because she was South African running for Great Britain running for Great Britain. Yeah, white South African running for Great Britain. So it's had, it's had to have controversial. And then in 1988, you also had the 100 metres, which had Ben Johnson uh, winning the 100 metres in a ridiculous time. And then being the first high-profile athlete to be done for doping. And again, I think that's had an impact on our views, not just the changing nature of the media, but can we trust what we're seeing? The number of doping scandals that have come out since can we really trust what we're seeing um and then uh, the other thing i remember from the 1988 olympics very vividly because me and my sister still actually quote it sometimes to each other is there was the hockey and and that's the thing is back then even then we would get into sports that we had no interest in yeah. for two weeks because again remember the olympics there was only four channels so, and the BBC One and BBC Two were just entirely dedicated to it. So what else are you going to watch in the summer holidays when it's raining? Um, but there was a, Great Britain got to the hockey final. And I don't think Great Britain men's team had ever been in the hockey final before. And we won, we, Great Britain won. I can't remember what the score was now, 3-1 or something like that. But in the last minute, uh, Great Britain scored to confirm the win. And Barry Davis, the legendary commentator, 
sort of said, and where were the Germans? But frankly, who cares? And that's that was his commentary. And I still remember it now. Uh, and I think that the Olympics had those moments. Uh, 92 Olympics as well. I mean, I, I would remember, before you talk about 1992, my biggest memory of the 84 Olympics, which you don't mm. remember particularly well, but I remember, this is quite similar to my Lethal Weapon 2 story, um, or Lethal Weapon 1, I can't remember which Lethal Weapon story it was I told years ago on one of our old podcasts, but mm. I remember that the very end, the closing part of the 1984 Olympics, they had this kind of piece that the BBC had cobbled together, and it had all the British athletes that had won like Daley Thompson and Seb Cole winning their gold medals. And it was all this footage of them like coming to the end of their races of Daley Thompson doing his pole vault. And over the top of it was Spandau Ballet's gold, right? And I used to wait. So I had this video. I don't know why I was... I mean, it's not like I knew it was coming on, but I just happened to have this video. Um, I don't know if it was like my dad was videoing the closing ceremony or something like that, but like I had this on tape. And what I would do was... When my mum and when everyone was out of the house, which wasn't that often, but when people went out of the house, I would run up to my bedroom, I'd put on my vest and pants, and I would go to the living room and I would play this thing and I would run around the living room watching the athletes and I would pump my fists in the air, pretending that I just crossed the finishing line and that I'd won a gold medal. And I used to love doing that. I used to do all I mean, I was to be fair, I was only seven at the time, but I used to just run around pumping my fists with glee to this gold, always believe. So when when I hear that song, I think of myself running around my living room because I, obviously I didn't have like an Olympics, an Olympic athletes. Like, cause you don't, I'm wearing a Liverpool top today. You don't tend to get like Olympic kits. You don't see kids walking around wearing like Olympic kits. So the best I could do is just put my white vest and my pants on and pretend. I probably looked a bit like a sort of scrawny me boy pretending to be in Chariots of Fire, if anything. But yeah, so that was my Chariots of Fire moment, was dancing, running, not dancing, prancing probably around my living room to that uh, Spandau Ballet hit. But anyway, you were going to talk about the... But I don't really want so, to dwell on that. The 1992 Olympics. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we won't, we won't dwell on it. I think, I think it does sum up. You, you, your family and yourself are, are much more early adopters than my family and I am. The very fact you had a video player in 1984 predates us by two years. This, our family didn't get one until 86. But um, I love the fact that that kind of shows us what we used to videotape. We videotaped the closing ceremony of the Olympics. Yeah. I, used to video, I remember I used to video like highlights of, say, like Scotland games. Like, there was a game where Kenny Douglas famously got his 30th goal um, against Spain. And mm. I had... The I think it was BBC highlights because I think it was Jock Brown was doing the commentary, and I used to sit and watch this again and again. But then when I got bored with that, what I would do is when my mum and dad went out, I would get my little tape recorder, like my audio tape recorder, and I would sit it down in front of the telly and I would record the whole commentary so that when I went to my bed, I could sit and listen to the commentary of this football match from the telly. It's an odd. Th I mean, it's almost like a precursor to podcasting, really, if you think about it. Yeah. It's it's a, it's an odd it's an odd thing to do. Um, I do think we we did tend to do that. I remember my sister. Um, she did it much more than I did, but she had both a neighbours tape. Nice. Uh, where she wouldn't just tape episodes of neighbours. That wasn't the kind of thing. Big big episodes. She would a wedding or or potential death. Um, but it would also be if any neighbours actor or actress was on going live, she would tape it. 
Wow. Uh, you know, or Wogan or whatever. If Kylie Minogue was on top of the pops, she would tape it. So that she had this entire three or four hour video just of neighbors' things. Did she watch um, it what's that? Did she watch it quite a lot? Yeah, I think we kind of went back. Our favorite character was Paul Robinson, played by Stephen Dennis. So anything that, that he should watch those bits quite a lot. Uh, and his performance on top of the pops. Did it make her feel good? <laughs> it did. I was wondering if you'd know his song, but there you go. <laughs> um, um, and so, yeah, so I think we, we did videotape weird things. In actual fact, we, I remember, speaking of compilations and coming to 92, at the end of the 92 Olympics, I think we'd got used to the idea that the BBC would do a montage mm -hmm. by the end of the, the 92 Olympics. And so they did a compilation. Um, to a numerous different, um, numerous different um, songs, and they kind of merged them all together. But I very vividly remember as well in that one is, and we did tape it and we did watch it quite a few times because we loved the '92 Olympics. Like that's the one I was properly into. I think it was the summer of '92 was quite wet. I think I was what would I have been in '92? 15. I would have turned 15. When it was wet, there wasn't much to do. Um, and so in our house, because our parents both worked, uh, whereas uh, my other friends, one of their parents often didn't, so there'd be a parent in the house, um, or they'd be working shifts, so they'd be asleep. Uh, our house was just me and my sister all day. So some of my friends or some of our friends would normally be around and, and we'd all be sat there watching the Olympics together. And then part of the musical montage, again, this is only for viewers of a certain age, or sorry, listeners of a certain age, is there was a 400 meter runner called Derek Redmond, who was very injury prone, but brilliant, a British runner. Um, there was two really, really properly brilliant British um, 400 meter runners at the time. One was Roger Black, um, and one was, uh, was Derek Redmond. Um, and Derek Redmond was finally fit for the 92 Olympics. He was properly fit. And in the semi-finals, he tore off in the first 300 meters. He was brilliant. He was ahead by 10, 15 meters or something. And then as he did the final, um, the last turn into the home straight, his hamstring just popped. And you could see it pop. All of a sudden, he's running, he's running, and then he couldn't run anymore. He pretty much fell down. And then and he'd had so many injury troubles that he was on his knees and he was sobbing his heart out on the track and he couldn't move. And then somehow the race had finished, but he got up and he started limping towards the, the, the finish line in tears, floods and floods of tears. Um, and you could see these stewards begin to not know what to do because they weren't sure whether to, because he wasn't running the race anymore. And so they were trying to work out. And then all of a sudden you kind of, this man, this older man, kind of begins pushing stewards away and stewards are trying to stop him. And he grabs hold of Derek Redmond and you're not sure at that point who he is. Like, is he some crazy guy that's going to attack him or whatever? We don't know. And then he puts his arm around him and helps him towards the finish line. And it turns out that it's his father. And it's this wonderful moment um, of Olympics lore or whatever. And it was set to Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush's Don't Give Up. Ah. And it was really quite a moment. That's probably the most iconic Olympic moment for me. It's funny, do you think 
like kids now would remember, would think about like their favourite piece that they, you know, like I remember yeah. watching it. I remember when Kenny Dalglish, as twice I've mentioned Kenny Dalglish, and I'm wearing a lot. <laughs> but I remember when Kenny Dalglish got his thirtieth goal for Scotland. I remember in sports scene they did a compilation of basically all his goals that they had, all his Scotland goals that he had, um, that they had on video. And they did that to Nobody Does It Better by Carly Simon. And I remember I had that in video and I used to watch that again and again, just watching Kenny Douglas knocking in goals for Scotland. But I don't know. I mean, is that like YouTube now? Is that basically what YouTube is? It's like just watching these kind of like the 11 best deaths in Game of Thrones or whatever. Is that is that basically what we, we yeah, enjoyed that ourselves? Probably, and now that's become like a thing. It probably is. Although sadly, because of rights and all that, when it goes on YouTube, the, the, the commentary's often gone because yeah. they can't have the rights to the commentary, or it's speeded up, and um, it's some awful techno music, because they can't actually get use the rights. Peter Gabriel wouldn't let them yeah. use Don't Give Up or whatever. Um, and I think I think it is a shame. I do think it's a shame. When did you, because it's clear, you know, from the way that you remember certain things from the Olympics too, is that when did you lose track of the Olympics then? Probably when did you... When, Nine, I, I don't know if it was just in the, sometime in the 90s, definitely. I feel like I haven't. There was that, obviously, there was the London Olympics in 2012 where Britain won loads of gold medals on that super, was it Super Saturday, Super Sunday? Saturday, yeah, Super Saturday. Um, I remember taking an interest there, but I can't remember this century really caring about the Olympics. Because I remember it seemed, it wasn't just the Olympics. Like you said, athletics was a thing. It was almost like a football season. There was an athletics season, but there would be like an athletics tournament on the BBC every week or every two weeks. Kind of like snooker. Like, it would be on quite a lot. And um, and now it's not. You know, like, you cared about the Commonwealth Games. I remember Liz McColgan talking about Liz McColgan. I remember, and again, I think, I think certainly up here, people maybe cared more about the Commonwealth Games because you actually had athletes running for Scotland. You know, you had... Yvonne Murray and Liz McColgan and Tom McKean, you all the Scottish athletes wearing their blue vest for Scotland. So I kind of remember that a wee bit more. But and also in our childhood, the, was it the 1986 Commonwealth Games was in yeah. Edinburgh? Yeah. And so it was very much, uh, it was kind of ours. Yes. Because we were growing up in Scotland and they were over there and yeah, um, very much so. But did we uh, have the Commonwealth Games in Scotland quite recently? Like about 2014? Yeah. And, and it's weird 2014 because um, I moved abroad in the August of 2014. But I genuinely cannot remember whether the Commonwealth Games had taken place before I left or it happened after I left. Like, all I remember about 2014 is the Scottish referendum on um, independence. I don't remember the, 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 the Commonwealth Games at all, which is weird. Um, I remember the opening ceremony, but that's about it. I just remember the opening ceremony featured Karen Dunbar and John Barrowman. Oh, right, okay. Some of the great Scottish entertainers of our time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's definitely... It's like you say, I mean, telly and technology has a lot to answer for. The fact that... There's, I mean, we didn't have a sports channel. It's the no. same way that... It's the same for kids in that, like, we didn't have, like, a channel dedicated to kids when we were we. You got yeah. allotted times that were for children's television. You come home from school, three o'clock to half five was kid time. And Saturday morning from like eight to like 12 was kiddie time. The rest of the time, it was the money programme. 
with Cliff Mitchell Moore or Guy Mitchell Moore. One of the Mitchell Moore brothers. Food and drink. Don't forget food and drink. Food and drink as well with Julie Goulden. Um, <laughs> it's the same with sport. Like there were certain, you know, Saturday morning, you'd match, you'd your match of the day stuff in the morning. You'd Satan Greavesy, kind of about two, 12 o'clock. Then the wrestling would come on. Like, one, yeah. was wrestling would come on after that sometimes with Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks. I'd sometimes watch that. And then you'd Italian, like, like Gazetta, you'd Italian football on a Sunday afternoon on Channel 4. So there were certain times that you would watch sport. So it was almost like, it was like we've talked about before, like appointment TV. You knew when you were going to have, like sports scene and Scott sport, the two Scottish football programmes were on. Sports scene used to be on a Saturday night about 10 o'clock and Scott sport was on at like five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. But it was the Sunday same afternoon. pretty much every week. Whereas now Sky Sports runs 24 hours a day. It's just a, yeah. it's like, it's not just Sky Sports. They've, I mean, it's gone so far now that there is no such thing as Sky Sports 1 and 2. It's now Sky Sports football, mm -hmm. Sky Sports cricket, Sky Sports golf. So yeah. you, you don't have to wait to watch whatever. And if you don't want, if, if, if your sport's not on just now, go to Sky Sports golf and they'll be showing last year's Open or there'll be something on, which we didn't have. I mean, I, I would have loved that, but it means that you're not necessarily just, you're not forced to watch the Olympics because you can just I, I, go to Sky Sports and watch some old football matches instead that you'd rather watch. And I don't think I talked about this last week, but I may have done. So stop me, or not last week, a couple of weeks ago. So stop me, please, if I did speak about this. Is that I think it's massively um, short-sighted of sports themselves um, in doing that. Is that football, in one sense, has never been, well, pre-pandemic anyway. The pandemic's obviously messed everything up because fans can't attend. Yeah. But pre-pandemic, football had never been richer. No. In terms of, there was more money in football. Now, certain leagues were poorer. Um, and well, actually, no, that's not true. Uh, the Scottish football, the Scottish Premier League, is as rich as it's ever been in its history. It's just, relatively speaking, it's not as rich as the other leagues. Yeah. Uh, footballers are still paid way more, probably, in Scotland than they would have been to, towards the general population yeah. than they would have been when we were growing up. But... Um, but what, what football's allowed itself to become is, is ghettoized so that for sort of basically, what, 102 weeks out of every 104 weeks, um, football is anonymous um, apart from at half 10 on a Saturday night um, on BBC One um, in terms of television because you don't see these players I mean, maybe the FA Cup or the Scottish Cup in Scotland, but you don't see these footballers, these great footballers. You don't see them. And so, you know, the, I, I remember the, when, when the pandemic um, hit and they put the first match on the BBC, they put a Premier League match on the BBC, and it was something like Burnley versus Crystal Palace. And it got the record ratings television ratings for a Premier League game ever because it was on BBC yeah um, and you know because even even a match like um, Manchester United Liverpool only is watched by about an average of three million people and that's the biggest match in English football the, the old firm derby is in Britain wide is probably watched by maximum of a million people maximum of a million people whereas if it was on bbc one 
it would get BBC One, certainly if it was BBC One UK, it would get an audience of about seven or eight million at least. I mean, when we were younger, they did show live football matches, didn't they? Rarely. It was the big, I mean, I can only speak about, they did show, I'm not sure how many Scottish matches they showed. Scot Scottish Premier League games they showed. I can't remember. I remember. I don't know. I seem to just remember high. But I don't, I'm sure I remember watching the Arsenal Liverpool game closed out that yeah. season. That was they had, wasn't it? Yeah. No, that was ITV. ITV. But they had the big. They had the big match, which was, I think there was, ten games a season, were on the television, and that when was it. That, when did that start? When did Sky start? Nineteen ninety-two. How was it as long ago as that? Yeah. Um, and it disappeared and it went to 1992. But, and this was the huge difference, and I think that this is where football's got really short-sighted, is that we didn't notice that much because we had Italian football on Channel 4. You still had the FA Cup. You still had the League Cup. You had the Scottish Cup on, the Scottish League Cup oh, all on Britain. I mean, we also had our international games still on the BBC. That's only a recent thing that Scotland games went to Sky. That's only the last 10 years or so that's happened, but you don't get them. It used to just be a standard thing that Scotland games were on BBC One or two. And you'd have the European games. Yeah. You'd have European games. STV would have the Champions League. Yeah. yeah. And I think the worst thing that the UEFA anyway did was sign away exclusive rights to BT Sport. They should have done the, the, the thing that they've done all the way through when they had the deal with Sky, which is two games a week are on ITV or Channel 5 or BBC or whoever. Because then, you know, because Liverpool won the European Cup in 2019. And when we won it in 2005, there was about 14 million people watched that game. And when in 2019, about 5 million people watched I bet you about seven million of them turned off at half time though back in two thousand and five. Well, well, probably yeah. But the I thing is, I remember nearly turning off and then going, "Like Liverpool could still win it. They could still win it." But but think how much of a and like Mohamed Salah um, is obviously well known, but he's well known to football fans. Yes, he's not well known to the wider public. But think about if if, if Liverpool had been on ITV every European game all of that the season before where they got to the final. And then the following season when they won it, and you'd seen Mo Salah be Mo Salah for two years every week on, BB, on ITV, he would be the, one of the what, five most famous men in Britain, probably, mm -hmm. at this point in time. You think, you, know, that, you think back to that Liverpool team that we followed as wee boys, and mm -hmm. like, our parents would have known who Bruce Grobler was. Whereas now, if I said, like, oh, the Liverpool goalkeeper is called Alison, my mum would be like, is that a lady? Like she wouldn't, she'd be like, it's a, genuinely she'd probably be like, Alison, that's a stupid name for the goalkeeper. Whereas I reckon my mum and dad would, well, my dad certainly because he's a football supporter, but like my mum would have probably been aware of Bruce Grobler. Hmm. And she'd probably and, been aware of quite a few of the, you know, like Graham Soonis and Kai Douglas. Yeah, and, and Alan Like my mum probably wouldn't know who Andy Robertson is because my mum doesn't really watch football, but like she would have definitely known who Kai Douglas and Graham Soonis were. Possibly John Borg because he had her surname. Yes. And, and, and the biggest, and the, the I mean, moving away, because we started with the Olympics, but we've just gone into sport in general. But the worst example of ghettoizing yourself as a sport um, is, is cricket. Yes. Um, in 2005, there was an Ashes series, which is for Scottish listeners who might have no knowledge of cricket whatsoever, is when England play Australia. And it's kind of, the, you know, the Manchester United versus Liverpool of cricket, if you like. And um, 
In 2005, it was on Channel 4, and it had always been on terrestrial television. The summer's cricket had always been on terrestrial television. And, you know, and, and in 2005, it was an epic match, which drew in people that had never watched cricket before. Myself. Yes, never even including cricket. And my dad was sitting watching the, the, the test match in 2000, the Ashes test match in 2005. And it was the very first one of the series. And I went through to, my dad used to live opposite me in the opposite flat. And I went through and I said to him, like, can you explain this to me? So he explained the rules of cricket. And that series was so compelling that I then became, it, it got to the point where you would come out to my house sometimes on a Friday night and we'd watch cricket matches and cheer at it like it was football. I remember there was, like a, there, was, there was like a 2020, I think. There was one where it was really tight at the end and we were like properly, like it was like we were watching a football match. We were really into yeah. it. Properly edgier seat stuff. You're right. I think that, that, was, that initial one was, I mean, I had Sky Sports at the time, but that was on Channel 4. And, and then what they did is, well, he denounced it prior to the end of that series anyway, is that the contract was up with Channel 4 and Sky came in with a big bid. And all cricket, literally all cricket, was taken off terrestrial television until um, two years ago they had the World Cup final on BBC Two, and then this year they've launched the 100, which is a new competition yeah. to try and draw back viewers. And the thing is, it, it was kind of a truism, but go back 30 years ago, 40 years ago, in England, not in Britain, but in England, it was generally considered that the three most important jobs in Britain, or in England rather, English people considered the three most important jobs in the country, Prime Minister number one, England football manager number two, England cricket captain number three. And everyone knew who the England cricket captain was. He was like a, you know, a properly august figure. Um, now, if you went round local towns, local cities, and showed them a picture of Joe Root, who's the test captain for England, people would not know who he was. They would recognise Andrew Flintoff, but he retired like 10 years ago. Yeah, they'd recognise Flintoff and Peterson and these guys that haven't played for a while, but like the current crop, probably not. Probably not. And I think that that's, that's telling is that a, a sport got rich in the sense that the, the England cricket board is, is richer than it's ever been. The players are richer than they've ever been. But the vast majority of the team are now from private schools. They're... You don't get Joe Root advertising, red, you know, like whatever it was Ian Botham used to do. But you'd get Ian Botham adverts. You'd get David Gower doing adverts. You'd get these guys were, you know, David Gower was on that quiz show. So they think it's all over with Nick Hancock and Rory McGrath. I mean, obviously, Flintoff does that now with his League of Their Own thing with James Corden and Jamie Redknapp, but I just can't imagine any of this current crop of cricket players being like that because they're just, people don't know who they are. And, and exactly, that's the problem. They don't know who they are. And I think that it's, it's a kind of, you know, you, you dance with the devil. If you, if you take that money, then obviously you get richer. And, you know, football is now, for example, being richer now for next year will be four, 30 years since the Premier League started, you know, and they've been taking that Sky money. And the stadiums have improved, the quality of the football has improved, the training and the coaching and et cetera, it's all improved. We've seen foreign players like we never would have before. Dennis Bergkamp wouldn't have come to the Premier League if it hadn't been for, for Sky's money. But long-term, the, 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 the audiences for football are getting older. Mm. The, the attendance at matches, they're getting older. You know, 
And is it becoming that? And, and the other thing that's happened with football as it's happened with the Olympics is that everything's directed at creating elite athletes any, as now, whereas it used to be a communal thing. It used to be a community thing. You know, I football. Like, I, I like to think, as someone who doesn't necessarily support England at football, but I like to think the England football team have done a wee bit this time round to make it mm. feel a bit more like a community thing. Because up until this year, if you'd asked, like if you'd asked David Beckham or Wayne Rooney what they thought about racism or inequality, they would mm. just have said, oh, I, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm a footballer. I think there's other people who know better. Whereas this time round, you've got, you've got people like Raheem Sterling and, and Marcus Rashford especially. And Rashford and Mings and all these guys properly calling the government into task. Even you've got people like Gary Neville as well, like ex-footballers. And that he's Gary Neville is able to do that because the England team are doing that. Like quite a few of the well-known England players are basically saying, "Yeah, black lives do matter," and, uh, and capitalism. Yeah, right. We're rich footballers, but capitalism doesn't work. Feeding school kids should be our priority. That kind of stuff, and the, yeah. you know, calling Pretty Patel and Boris out for the hypocrisy, you know, of, of you know, basically saying yeah. it's disgraceful that folk booed those guys that missed penalties when it was them that gaslit it at the start of the tournament by encouraging the fans to boo them for taking the knee. And I think it also helps that there's a generation of managers now, um, like Pep Guardiola, he hasn't necessarily come out. And, I mean, he said the right things about racism, um, obviously, but, you know, he is politically minded is that, you know, the independence for Catalonia, he's kind of worn that badge. You've got Jurgen Klopp, who does speak his mind about whatever yeah, sure. it is that yeah. he feels that. And, and Gareth Southgate, for, you know, you can criticise his tactical mouse or who he puts on penalties, but he said the right things at the right times, Absolutely. you know, to heal a nation and show leadership. So I think that there is that spirit. And I think that, and I think all our athletes, you know, I like the fact that there's a cricketer, Ben Stokes, who said, do you know what, my mental health's messed up. I need to take a break. And I, you know, I know Piers Morgan is very much against it, but that makes me think that I should be for it, is that that Simone... I'm not sure how to pronounce her surname, to be honest, I've only ever read it rather than heard it, but Simone Beals or Biles, the, the American gymnast, who is the Lionel Messi or the, you know, Serena Williams of gymnastics, who just said, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I, don't, I, I, I can't do this just now. You know, a victim of child sexual abuse as well, mm. who's somehow managed to perform to the levels that she's performed throughout of her, her gymnastics career, and being able to say, do you know what? I'm not your puppet, essentially. I'm not going to keep doing this because my head is about to explode. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's a massive, you know, the, the generation of sports people that we're getting now um, is, is, is to the credit, is to their credit. I think, you know, they're, to use that terrible term that people have used now as a weapon of woke, you know, but in the best sense, in the best sense of the word, you know. I, th I do think, I mean, you know, last week we spoke and it was negative, negative, negative all the way through because that's how we kind of feel about current politics. Here we've been a bit like nostalgic and lamenting the loss of that sense of community. But I do think there's some positivity to take from these athletes that we're viewing. Yes. So that's a good way to end probably on a positive. It's a good way to end. Uh, you know, go and maybe, maybe you know, we've kind of 
been a bit negative about the Olympics, but maybe just go and watch some athletics have started. Now, go and watch it, put it on mute, put the Prince album on, the soundtrack, you know, create your own musical montages of the Olympics. Run around your living room in your pants and vest if you want, pretend that you are Steve Ovette. Well, you know, Prince has now got a song, well, after 1984, I mean, it's been a while now, uh, but he's, he's got a song called Gold. That's true. So make it a golden so, you know, <laughs> so, you know, you can do that. You don't have to just stay with Spandau Valley. No, that's true. But just enjoy uh, things. Like, just, you know, read a book, watch a film, watch. And, and yeah. I'm just saying to John before, I've spent the last four weeks re-watching the entirety of Lost. And there are a million programmes on Netflix and Amazon Prime and various things that I've not watched yet. But just, you know, Lost is my kind of comfort television. I've really enjoyed it. And I don't know what I'm going to watch now. That I'm, now that I'm finished with Lost. Uh, Finally watch season four of The West Wing. <laughs> could, could go past season, or is it season five? I still haven't seen past Jed Bartlett throwing the ball at the baseball. Is that the end of season four? No, it's the end of season five, actually. I've seen got five seasons seasons of, that's as far as I've ever seen. I've done that twice and I always just stop watching. So maybe but I should... You know the way is? Season five is the worst one. If you can get through all of season five... Is that the one where his daughter gets kidnapped? That's the end of season four and into the beginning of season five. Okay. Right. I, I don't enjoy that plot. That'd be why I didn't enjoy season no, four. No, no, yeah, that's true. You, uh, don't have, you don't have Apple TV, do you? No. no. It's just I'm thinking of Go on. Go on, what were you going to say? I'm thinking, I was going to say, I'm thinking of getting rid of Netflix. Right. I don't really... I mean, the thing is, my kids watch a lot of Netflix. I don't. Until Stranger Things comes back on, there's not really anything in Netflix I'm interested in. I would suggest you spend your money on Apple TV Plus just now because you've never seen Ted Lasso, have you? No, but apparently it's wonderful. You'd love Ted Lasso. Mm. It's... I mean, my wife hates football. It's about... Basically, it's about this sort of lower Premier Division English football team and their manager gets sacked and... The, the woman who owns the club, basically her husband's left her and he's left her the club. So she decides the one thing to do to screw him over is to mess up his football team that he loves. Right. So she hires this American football coach. And I mean, he's not a soccer coach. He's an American football coach called oh, Ted. Right, okay. With the view of like, he'll just be rubbish and he'll destroy the club. But slowly, everyone at the club falls in love with this guy, Ted Lasso, because he's just so nice. And mm. it is, it's, very funny. It's got lots of pop culture references that because the guys that write it are like our age, guys that right. are in the forties or fifties. So the, the pop culture references are very us. Yes. Um, and it's just it's warm. You care about it. You care about the characters quite quickly, and it's really really funny. And that's the thing. My wife hates football. She loves it. She absolutely right. loves it. She because the second series just started last week. Um, on Apple TV and it's really Jason Sudeikis who plays um, yeah. Ted Lasso is brilliant he annoyed the anti-woke people because the day after the the final he had his t-shirt with the names of the guys that missed the penalties yeah, which yeah. again folk were going oh woke what do you care mm, exactly. all that nonsense and, and while we're calling out this is this is an older show and I've, caught, I've mentioned it before on, on, on our podcast earlier on I mentioned it in our Roundup of the Year podcast last year, but I've just re-watched the first two seasons. If you want a gentle television program, classic Sunday evening, you want to smile and laugh, laugh out loud, but smile and just think, 
the world is actually quite lovely at times. Then watch, it's on BritBox, but it's also on iPlayer. If you don't want to pay for BritBox, it's free on iPlayer. Watch The Detectorists with Toby Jones and Mackenzie Crook. Um, it is one of the finest creations, I think, of, of this century of British it's comedy. Very session. underrated. I mean, people Huge. talk about the, the Ricky Gervais's office. I prefer The Detectorists. Yes, so do I. I mean, Huge. The Office is probably funnier in bits, but Gervais is not a I mean, yeah, kind of up and down with Ricky Gervais. And he was very dismissive of Mackenzie Crook for doing his own thing. But the detectress is amazing. It's better than you think. It's, you hear it, oh, it's a sitcom about two boring guys that do metal detecting. It sounds awful. But you watch one episode and you're like, I'm in. It just looks like the countryside's nice, the weather's nice, the relationship between the two of them is just is great. All the other detectors as well. It's just it's brilliant. It's yeah. really good. It's wonderful. And there's um <laughs> and there's a there's two characters based on a very famous folk rock duo um within the show which is probably the best running joke of any running joke in in sitcoms in sitcom land i absolutely adore it and it makes me giggle every single time i see them so um yeah detectorists ted lasso if you're feeling a bit blue then watch those two and you'll feel much better but we will leave you at that listener i think we've probably gone quite long today but um it's been a fun chat i think it's been nice yeah so take care. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.